At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hi there, it's Keith, creator of the Book of Constellations. All 16 episodes of Chapter 1 are now available for you to listen to, but the story isn't over yet. We have some fun new things coming for the show, and the best way to find out about them is to sign up for our newsletter. It'll have information about special events, announcements, merchandise, and other shows we've been working on. Plus, you'll get exclusive commentary and behind-the-scenes information not found elsewhere. To sign up, visit bookofconstellations.com, and let's stay connected. The Book of Constellations Written, produced, and performed by W. Keith Timms Chapter 1, Verse 3 We have to help him, says Doreen. And I'm in agreement, but the real question is how. We do have them outnumbered. There's four of us, Doreen the waitress, Gary the cook, Rael, and me. There's two of them in their gray military uniforms with the Theta insignia, a soldier who hasn't even spoken since all of this went down, and Dr. Mara Ostrom with the white scars around her one magenta eye. Both of them are fit and strong, and they have pistols. Gary's a big guy, ex-Navy, but he's out of shape and just had his nose smashed by the soldier. Doreen's a slip of a woman. My legs are starting to really hurt now. Too much activity and the bone cancer is reminding me that it's there. And Rael? Well, who knows what he's capable of. It just doesn't seem like he's inclined to violence. The Theta people are here for him, and it's obvious he doesn't want us hurt because of it. So all we can do for now is sit under watch in the back room of Lulu's diner while the reinforcements Dr. Astrom called get closer and closer. But Doreen's plea stays in my mind. She wants to help him. I do too. But I'm still not sure about Gary, with his sullen and skeptical expression. He blames me and Rael for dragging him into this strange and dangerous situation. But then Dr. Astrom walks in from the dining room, and we have other things to worry about. She takes several cautious steps towards us, though her dissimilar eyes are only on Rael. She stares at him as if she can't believe he's real. Her one gloved hand fidgets, trying to find something to light upon, something to do. She hasn't put back on her doctor's mask, and her lips are slightly parted, twitching between a grimace of fear and a hungry smile. Rael remains relaxed, cross-legged, his tan wool poncho pooling loosely over his slender frame. 
He looks back at her through his side-shielded sunglasses, calm as an undisturbed pond. Mara, he says to the doctor, calling her by her first name. Let these people go. You have what you want. She flicks a glance at the rest of us, as if just now noticing we were here. I will, she says. After we're gone. Just a few more minutes now. She takes another hesitant step closer to us, her weight shifting in an odd and restless manner. No tricks this time, Rael, she says to him. You always make things so difficult. Which means we have to make them difficult for you. Rael does not flinch as he says softly. I could say the same thing of you. Her uncertain smile pulls into a tight grin at that, but I'm not sure I saw any real humor in it. Well, Mara says, still showing all her polished teeth, the white scars on the side of her face standing out in the artificial light of the back room. We don't have to be difficult to each other. It doesn't have to be this way. We can be friends. Rael nods at her once. We can, he says, and he sounds like he means it. Mara's breath catches, and her slender throat works up and down as she swallows in anticipation and surprise. Can we? she asks. Yes, he says, if you let me go. Her smile turns into a smirk of derision, but Rael continues. I give you my word, Mara. Free me and these people, and I will be your friend. The offer unbalances her. Even a little physically, she takes half a step back, his words stirring something hopeful and yearning inside of her. But then hope is slowly poisoned with anger, there in her face. Her hands clench into fists, the fabric of the magenta glove on her right hand bunching up. Tension travels through her body in stages. It's like watching water freeze. For a moment, I honestly think she might do something violent. Doreen must have seen it, too, because she suddenly calls out, Leave him alone! The doctor's head flicks to the side, turning all that building rage on her. Doreen shrinks back from that furious stare, but only a little. She reaches over a hand and places it on Rail's knee, protectively. With that gesture, Mara's eyebrows go up, and the anger seems to evaporate. Though actually, I think it isn't gone, but rather withdrawn and stored somewhere back inside of her. Mara laughs quietly then. <laughs> oh goodness, made another friend, Rael. And so quickly, too. He does that, you know? You wouldn't think it to look at him, but he does have a way with people. <laughs> Doreen raises her chin defiantly. I like his way with people better than yours. The doctor's shiny black shoes grind against the tile as she pivots to stare down at the waitress. But you're not thinking things through. It's easy to be brave when you haven't considered what you have to lose. And a woman like you may not seem to have much, but that makes what you have all the more precious. I wonder if you could bear the loss. Doreen tries to stare right back at her. Bless her. But Dr. Astrum's words find their mark and cut deep. I interrupt. Hey, there's no need for threats, okay? We're cooperating. The doctor spares me a glance, but not words. However, the distraction is enough. Her attention turns inevitably back to Rael, like the pointer of a compass. She says, Be careful about what you ask your friends to do. 
You wouldn't want any of that on your conscience. Everyone goes quiet. It seems like the conversation is over. She turns away and walks back to the soldier when Rahel says, Mara? She stops, glancing over her shoulder, looking back at him with her lone, gray-blue eye. He says calmly, simply, I forgive you. The tension in her body returns. She looks away, head bowed, shoulders pulling in, hands making fists. No. Rail says, Mara. She says, No! Whirling back, she stares at him in suddenly unchained fury, her magenta iris seeming to burn with a strange fire. No! You don't get to say that! Rail remains calm as ever. None of this is necessary. You're forgiven. She's shaken now as she opens her lips to scream something at him, to let loose the storm of anger that I can see is always inside of her. But with great effort, she controls herself. The tension is contained, subsumed into her body. She takes a shaky breath through her nose. You don't get to say that. And that's when I notice that she's crying. Just a few tears running down her cheek from her gray eye. Just that one. She abruptly turns and stalks past the soldier. I can hear her heels clicking on the floor as she hurries away. Perhaps to button herself and her anger back up under that tight uniform. A silence falls over the four of us after she's gone. I try to keep an eye on the soldier and occasionally think about making a break for the back door, but it would have to be all of us, and uh, I don't think we'd make it in time. I'm probably the slowest, and I wouldn't mind getting nabbed if it meant Rail could get away, but somehow I don't think Rail would go for that. Doreen has her eyes closed. I think she's praying. Rail is inscrutable behind those sunglasses, looking off as if through the walls. Gary is the one who finally speaks, staring at Rael. That magic trick you did on Doreen, could you do it with me? Rael turns to him. Yes. So you know about me? I know your name is Garrison May Stoneman. Doreen opens her eyes to squint at Gary. Your middle name is May? He huffs at her. It's a family name. Rael continues. You were a culinary specialist in the Navy and served in the Persian Gulf on the James Sawyer until... Gary raises a hand, cutting him off. Yeah, fine. You know me. What's wrong with your skin? Rail's skin didn't look blue at this moment. It looked more sickly gray, but it's definitely strange. My skin is my skin. This is how it came. Are you sick? Gary asks. Rail shakes his head. No. Huh. Gary glances at me then. What's your story? How do you know him? Well, honestly, we just met tonight. So why are you helping him? Because... How do I condense the cancer and the suicide attempt and everything else into a quick answer? I just say, because he saved my life. Gary laughs a little at that. (laughs) So that's your deal, huh? You go around saving people's lives? Rail gives him a faint smile and shakes his head. No, but if you met someone in pain and could help them, wouldn't you? Gary goes quiet after that, thinking. I notice him glance at the soldier, then at the back door, and then at me. 
to Riel, he asked somewhat sarcastically. I don't suppose you have any other tricks? Can you make the ground shake or call down lightning from heaven? Rael tilts his head at him, looking a little amused. Would it help? It might. He then leans back against the metal frame of the dish pit and sighs. Rael says, Gary, my time is almost up. If there is a way I can make amends to you for tonight... Gary then waves him off. Nah, forget about it. Besides, I know someone who could use it more than me. Who? asks Rael. I'll tell you later. But there isn't time... I said, I'll tell you later. There's something in Gary's manner that draws my attention. He's planning something. With one more glance at the soldier by the door, he says, Well, this evening's really screwed up my plans, right, Doreen? She is startled by the question. What? Told you I was planning on going to Forks Pier, doing some morning fishing, but I guess that won't happen. I got my tackle box and my truck parked out back and everything. She knits her eyebrows together. You hate fishing. Only Navy man I know who doesn't like the water. He smirks at her. I like fishing, sometimes. He turns to me. You ever been to Forks Pier? Yeah, a few times. Not many tourists know about it. It's quiet. Yep, that's the place. Oh well, best laid plans. We all lapse into silence. Doreen looks uncertainly between the rest of us, but she knows something is up too now. I just wish I knew what it was. Gary shifts putting his hand down, preparing to stand. That draws the attention of the guard who stares at him. Stay down, he orders, speaking through that gator mask over his face, reaching for his sidearm. Rail gently lays a hand on Gary's knee. No, just wait, he says. Gary nods and settles back on the floor, but he's watching the soldier. Hey, man, he calls over. Nothing says serving your country like taking hostages in a diner, yeah? The soldier returns to a guarded at ease, not looking directly at any of us. Gary continues. You ever serve in the Gulf? You look a little young, but I don't know. Afghanistan? No response. Just curious. What outfit are you with anyway? I don't recognize that Theta patch. Still no response. How'd you get into the service anyway? Me. Didn't really have a lot of prospects, and the Navy recruiter made it sound like a dream. Which is how I ended up peeling potatoes for 15 years. (laughs) Of course, they got these big drums that do the peeling, but you know what I mean. You must be something special, getting a post like this. He jabs a finger in the direction of the dining room. Following that crazy witch around, breaking an old man's nose, pointing a gun at unarmed civvies. Hey, maybe peeling potatoes ain't such a bad job after all. The soldier's eyes are steely fixed straight ahead. I can't be sure, but I feel like maybe Gary was getting under his skin just a little. You know what gets me, says Gary, continuing, is they call us heroes. Like, the fact that we signed up automatically makes us something special. It's just another job. Signing enlistment papers at heroic. It's what you do after. And yeah, some of us are heroes. But some of us are pieces of garbage, too. You know? just like every other job. And serving your country? (laughs) You and I both know that's a lie. What is the country if it's not the people in it? Do you feel like you're serving the people? Because I didn't. We're helping the rich get richer and the politicians get reelected. We're out in the field while they're safe at home. I wish the military belonged to the people again. Because maybe, when it was done with you, 
where they had squeezed all they could out of you and drank up all the juice. We get more than a flag sticker and a thank you for your service. The soldier remains fixed there at the door, immobile, a bundle of highly trained aggression awaiting instructions. I wish I could tell you that Gary had moved him in some way, had touched his heart or stirred remorse, but I just can't tell. Looking at him with his institutionalized body and schooled, stony face, wherein someone else's idea of discipline, like armor. It was like Rael said, no compassion, no restraint. I see Rael nod at Gary almost imperceptibly. Gary nods back just a slight and says to the soldier, Well, thank you for your service. And that's when he did it. That's when Rael called down the lightning from heaven. There's an explosion outside the diner, loud as hell itself, rattling the windows and making my heart lurch. Doreen screams. All the lights in the diner go out, and we are swallowed in darkness. That is, except for this eye-searing blue light from outside that flickers and thrashes through the air as if bent on revenge, snapping and buzzing. I didn't really have a good view from the back room, but it was enough for me to see angry tentacles of electricity lashing out from a power pole near the road. Fire is shooting up from the top of it, while sparks and ash fall down over the doctor's car. A transformer on the pole blew. The whole neighborhood is dark. The guard is startled out of his vigilance by the explosion, turning to face the noise, drawing his weapon. Maybe he thinks he's under attack. The arc in electricity is blinding him. I can hear Dr. Astrum crying out alarm. We have five seconds, maybe ten, before the shock wears off and they come to check on us. Gary leans in and passes me his keys, tells me the plan. I don't have time to debate. I pass him my keys in return. Rael and Doreen get ready. The arc in electricity from the pole goes out, leaving only the headlights of the doctor's car and the burning transformer to light the night. The doctor yells from the front of the diner, No, 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 no. What have you done? And now we're ready. We run for the back door, just the two of us. My legs and hips cry out in pain. I'm not winning any gold medals, I can tell you that. But the adrenaline and urgency takes the edge off. I hope it's enough. We get to the back door and slam it open just as the doctor appears in the dining room doorway. There's just enough light outside that she can see Rail's poncho fluttering as we make for Gary's truck. No! She screams. Stop them! Gary's truck is a beat-up pickup, stuffed with fast food cups and unread mail. I wince as I fall into the seat, fumbling to get the key in the ignition, praying that it starts up. The soldier appears in the doorway, leveling his pistol in our direction. Just before he fires, the doctor grabs his arm and knocks it to the side. The bullet hits the bed of the truck with a loud crack. I turn the ignition. It starts. I floor it. As I go skidding around the parking lot to the front of the diner, I see the doctor and the soldier running around the building toward their car. I turn west onto the main road, heading away from the coast, and I take off. Of course, we're in an old truck, and they're in a supercharged sedan. They're in my rearview mirror after only a minute. 
I know these roads fairly well, so I make a few zigs, a few zags. Watch as they slam on the brakes when they see my taillights down a side road whose turn they missed. Honestly, I thought I could keep the chase going longer than I did. But then I'm on a long straightaway with no turns when they finally catch up. Their car's engine is roaring as they drive right up on the truck and tap the back. We start fishtailing all over the road, and it's all I can do to keep it from flipping. So, I pull over, put the truck in park, roll down the window, put my hands on the steering wheel, and wait. Mara Astrum's magenta-gloved hand rests on the door, the other hand holding a flashlight. The soldier appears at the passenger side, holding his sidearm. The doctor is breathing heavily, sweating, some of her black hair having escaped her bun and hanging across her mismatched eyes. Now that was a waste of everyone's time, she says, moving the beam of light from my face to the seat next to me. Which is when she gasps and reels back a step. When she sees Doreen, wearing Rail's poncho, sitting in the seat next to me. Doreen is terrified, but her jaw is set in determination anyway. The doctor hisses at us, an expression of mad desperation unveiling itself by seconds across her scarred face. Where? I shake my head. I don't know. She's staggering back into the empty road like she was drunk now. We, 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 we have to go back. We have to go back. Back. Back! She shouts at the guard. Tell them. Tell them to, to search the place. Tell them. Tell them to look everywhere. There was more, but it's lost in her mad rush to the car. Her screams echoing off the black trees and the darkened houses set back from the road full of people slipping through this nightmare. And then, they're gone, speeding away, back to the diner, just like that. It's a little after four in the morning when Doreen and I drive into the parking lot at Forks Pier. The pier isn't open yet, but I expect a few early morning fishermen will be along with the dawn before too long. But for now, we have the place to ourselves. Gary is there, with my RV, leaning against the back near the moon or bust sticker. I park alongside and we join him, the sea breeze ruffling our hair and carrying the scent of the tide. Gary looks us over. Wasn't sure I'd see you two, but I'm glad. Hey, what'd you do to my truck? I nodded at the crushed rear bumper. They got a little aggressive. Sorry. He shrugs it off and asks, You okay, Doreen? She says she is. And Gary asks, How'd you talk him into letting you go? I didn't, I say. When that doctor realized Rail wasn't in the car, she panicked. Took off to head back to the diner. How about you two? get away okay? Yeah, he says. We left right after they started chasing you. Just in time, too, past a convoy of armed military vehicles heading for the diner on the way. One of them was this uh, strange-looking van with all kinds of high-tech gear attached to it. I don't know what your buddy did, but that's some serious equipment they got looking for him. You sure you know what you're doing? I have to laugh a little at that. Of course not. But it's not like I had anything else to do tonight. 
He doesn't get it, but that's all right. Where is he? I ask. Gary points away toward the shore, and I see Rael there near the water, bare-chested, wearing only scrubs. Even his sunglasses are off and held in his fingertips as he stares up at the night sky. He's too far away for me to really see his eyes, though. But the pre-dawn starlight falls on his skin, turning it soft blue. The three of us just watch him a while. No one knows what to say. Perhaps Rail senses us, for he replaces his sunglasses and turns to walk back. Doreen passes him his poncho, and he puts it on. I am glad you're all safe, he says. What will you do now? Doreen smiles at him. I'm going to move to Sanderson, like you said. It's a chance that I didn't even know I could take. Thank you. But what about you? If those people, the Theta group, if, if they come back, what do we say to them? Rail says... Tell them the truth. Tell them everything. Tell them about the escape and meeting here and that we parted ways. They no longer have compassion in their hearts, but they thrive in secrecy. Already the fire trucks and the electrical teams on the scene to repair the transformer have driven them away from the diner. So if they threaten you, go to the police, go to the media, go out in public. It's me they want. And if you tell them everything, they will, I believe. Leave you alone. Gary asks, Where are you going? West, Rael answers, to fight the darkness. Which is when I hear myself saying, Me too. Rael turns to me with a slight smile and I shrug. I figured you could use a ride. Rael reaches out and touches my arm in a gesture of comradeship and gratitude. Feels nice, not gonna lie. It may be insane. I may be delusional. But having a purpose again feels good. Rail turns to Gary. Thank you, he says. Gary nods. But then he says, You said you'd help a friend of mine. I will, if I can. And Gary tells him about, uh... Well, I better save that for another time. With one last round of hugs, Rail and I get into the RV. So, I say, West, huh? He nods. Yes, toward the capital. The capital? What's there? The governor, he says, who hosts the darkness. We're going to confront the governor in the capital because he's hosting some infectious, corrupting spirit. Rail settles cross-legged in his seat, resting his head back against the cushion. Yes, he says. After a moment, I start up the engine. Okay, I say. Moon or bust. The Book of Constellations is written, produced, and performed by W. Keith Timms. Music in this episode included Horror Drone by Audionautics.com, an old parlor guitar by Rest You Sleeping Giant, and Remembering Past Everything by PC3. Links to those artists can be found at bookofconstellations.com, and so too check them out. Additional music came from John Bartman and Free Sound Collective. The theme is Cycles by Pictures of the Floating World. Have you told a friend about the Book of Constellations today?
there's something new I want you to hear. It's called The First Episode Of, and it's a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. In each show, I listen to the first episode of an indie audio drama and then have a discussion with the creators about their methods, their struggles, and successes. It's great conversation for anyone interested in storytelling and creativity. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts or at thefirstepisodeof.com. Give it a listen. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.